Okay, last Sunday, if you were here, I joked as I started the service because I saw just literally thousands of geese last weekend flying north, remember, because it was 65 degrees, and I said, boy, are they going to be surprised. No joke, this morning as I'm leaving, I heard geese, I looked up, and they were flying south. It was like, oh, oops, you know, i got to get back out of here. It's not quite done yet, but anyway, we're, we're glad that you're here today. Uh, as you've been hearing from Carlos and from others, uh, welcome back to the story. Welcome back to this journey that we're taking, uh, a, a scriptural journey. We're going from Genesis to Revelation. We're walking through the scriptures, and we're using this resource called the story. This is a, just an abridged version of the scriptures in chronological order, and, and we're just taking a journey through and seeing what God has in mind for us. In fact, um, if you're here today, one of our guests, or you've been coming for a while, and you, you still don't have one of these, we'd love for you to take one home with you. You'll see some as the as you exit today, just take one as our gift uh, today so that you can, uh, even if you're not able to come back, you can still go along in the story with us. But we're, we're heading back into where that, that story begins. We took a little break over the holidays and had a special series just getting us started in the year. But we're now back into it. We're, we're up to chapter 13 is this week. And uh, in your life groups, that's what we'll be studying is chapter 13 for, the, for this week. And we'll continue on as we go through this, this next session. Um, but as we get started, one of the things that I, that I know that we've learned, and I want to make sure that we, we gather that, that the Bible is not just this series of random kind of uh, disconnected stories. The Bible literally is a story. It is one continuous flow of, of a message that God is trying to get across to us, and he wrote it in that particular fashion. And what we're looking at is, is basically we can look at this story from three perspectives, and that's what the words are that we have up here on the, on the back. Interesting, somebody was in our auditorium yesterday, uh, not a part of our church, and, and these really caught their attention. They said, okay, so you got to tell me, what does upper, my, and lower stand for? And I get to explain to them exactly what we're looking at. When we look at the upper story and we think of what God, uh, God's upper story is literally the, the, the part of who God, what God is doing, the part that sometimes and oftentimes is unseen by us, but it doesn't mean it's not there. It means it's happening, it's, part, it's a part of the story that, that we can't change. No matter what we do, God's story is going to continue. He has a story in place. The lower story, that's where we live. Okay, that's the human experience. That's what we face on a daily basis. It's the things that, that come around us, and sometimes they seem really out of sync. They don't seem to make sense. They almost seem chaotic until we remember that on top of all that, there is an upper story. There is, there is a God work there, but sometimes the lower story gets a little confused, muddled in that, but that's where we live. But then my story is how does this all apply to where I am? It's where we, we put all these things together and what God, how God's story working through the lower story intersects with our story and the, and the a specific journey that he puts us on. And that's how we're looking at this idea of the story is, is from these different perspectives. One other thing that I want to share with you, we've looked at each week as you go down the wall here, we've been looking through the Old Testament, and each chapter of the story has a specific symbol. And that's, that's all exciting. What we're going to do, though, this second half is we're going to summarize that into five symbols. Because what I'd like for you to do is that as you get to the end of this is to be able to share this story of the Scripture with someone. And to do so, we want to simplify it with, with these five symbols. And, and these five things will, will start to make sense as we go along, but let me just give you a brief overview. On the far left, we have a tree. It talks about that's the original. That's the garden. That's where everything started. That's where uh, God created man and, and woman. Where he put them there, the relationship was the key. Sin separated them from God. And from that point on, God has, what we're going to find in the story, God then had a process in place to get us back, to get the human race back in a relationship with him. 
come to that second symbol, and that's the symbol of, uh, if you're familiar with the menorah, the idea of the Jewish, the, the, the symbol for the Israeli people, the Jewish people, and the, the symbol of that is that God chose in his, his design, in his story, to use a specific family. And this specific family, then, is the one in which the, the, his plan is going to come to fruition and the salvation is going to come through, which leads us to that middle circle, and that's the cross. Jesus is the centerpiece of this story. Everything is, in the Old Testament is looking forward to Jesus. In the, in the New Testament, afterwards, we're looking back to what he did on the cross. Everything happens. He is the centerpiece. He is the salvation that God is, has designed to bring to the world. Then we come to the, the fish symbol. That's the idea of the church. That's where we live. That's the idea. Now we're sharing Jesus, and we're looking forward to him coming back again to finally, when we come to that garden again, God says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to restore back to what the original intent with this, this relationship now brought through the salvation of Jesus Christ. So those five symbols we're going to talk about because that enables us now to tell this story in a very simplified fashion. So this morning, we're still in the second of the five movements. Okay? We're still talking about that family that God chose. And, and you got to make sure you understand, though, though you haven't, maybe haven't read the Old Testament, every one of those names, every one of that, that uh, part of that story has a significance in what God is calling and is, is hap- having to happen within the, the idea of his story. So we're talking about a family with some specific names. First name that God chose was the, name, was the man Abraham. And he tells Abraham, I'm choosing you, for, through you is going to come the hope but I'm going to do it through your son and your generations. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac then has a son named Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons. And God says specifically of those 12 sons, what, there's going to be significance in all 12 of those sons, but one specifically is going to be the son in which the Messiah, in which the salvation of the world is going to come through. Can anybody tell me which son that was? Starts with a J, Judah. Judah becomes the significant tribe that God says the, the saving one is coming through Judah. Through the tribe of Judah now, there becomes one family that God says through this family, there's going to be a, there's going to be a king that comes. And he starts with this royal family, and this royal family starts with a, with a man named David. Those two names are not just, okay, we just throw them out in the Bible. You've got to understand that in God's story, these become significant significant pieces because the New Testament will tell us that the Messiah, the one God sends to save us from our sins, is going to be from the is going to be a lion from the tribe of Judah. He's going to sit on the throne of his father David. So when we see these names that we're talking about, these aren't just uh, just some things that kind of help the story move along. This is how God's plan. And so everything has to come back. In fact, there have been people who have claimed to be the Messiah, the saving one. Well, there's, there is one very immediate way you can test that. Are you from the tribe of Judah? Does your family trace their roots back to the throne of David? Because if you can't answer those two questions, yes, then you're, you're definitely not the Messiah. You understand, these are significant. And something else, the enemy, as soon as the, we know this story, God had it in place. But now the enemy, ever since the garden happened, the enemy has been trying to disrupt God's plan. And when, when God revealed Judah and David as the people, from that point on, he did everything he could to either take them out of the picture or destroy their effectiveness or to make this all change. So as we see this progress, we get to Matthew chapter 1, and it's just a 
it's just a chapter of just, and this guy had this guy and his son and this son and this. And it, it's almost boring to read until you realize that that's giving us the line of the Messiah. And it comes through a guy named Judah who has a great-grandson named David who has a son named Solomon and on and on it goes. And all of it points back to God's story is at work through all of this. And God is weaving a story to bring us back to himself. All right, so we got the background. We're caught back up in the story. Today we go to chapter 13, and the story comes to the son of David by the name of Solomon. If you were here on January 1st, we talked a little bit about David himself and how he handed the reins over to his son. Well, today we're going to talk about that son, the king who had it all, is a great description of this guy. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 3. If you have your storybooks, we're on page 176. We're going to be looking at, at this part of God's story and how it affects us in this story through this one called Solomon. When we come to 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon has been in his position now for approximately four years. So he's, he's been doing transitional things. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? He's transitioning his new government into place, all right? He's putting people in place. He's taking some out of positions. He's, he's moving things around, getting into position. And now we come to 1 Kings chapter 3. We, we see him now literally beginning to, to start making progress. The wheels are starting to move with this idea of Solomon. And here's what verse number 3 says of 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father, David. Now, that's a great start, okay? You want to start things off right, biblically speaking, spiritually, boy, this is a great way to put it. He loved God, and he obeyed what God told him to do. Look, now, look at this next verse, verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, this is what God said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Okay, some of you have read this story before, but let's just all stop. Put our pencils down for a minute and think about that, all right? God just said, Solomon, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Blank check. Now, <laughs> let's be honest. If I said that to you, said, whatever, I, whatever you want, you ask, I, some of you go, okay, thanks, great. Give me a McDonald's and a French, you know, an extra fries, right? About all like... But we're not talking about me. We're not even talking about rich people on earth. We're talking about God says to him, all right, here it is, blank check, Solomon. What do you want from me? Whatever, you, you have this opportunity. What would you say? Some of you have already got your list made. I, I know you do, all right? You're waiting for that bottle to, to rub so you can ask the genie that. You've always wanted. What would you say in that? Understand, the answer that Solomon gives becomes kind of the crux of this part of the story. As we keep reading, here's Solomon's answer, verse 6. Solomon starts off with gratitude. He said, God, you've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. He's, and that's me. He said, and I get it, God. You, you have been so good to my family and myself. He, he's gratitude. He keeps reading. Verse 7. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in the place of my father David, but I am only a little child. Now, understand, Solomon was probably in his late 20s, so he was young, but he wasn't a child per se, what he's saying is, God, I'm starting to realize the enormity of what you're calling me to do as king, and I don't think I can do this. This is huge, God. 
I'm realizing what it means to be king of these people. Be your king. This is huge. So he goes on. He continues. And, and he says, and I, I do not know how to carry out your duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count in number. And then Solomon says, and so here's what I ask for. Verse number 9, Solomon says, so give your servant. Remember, he had anything he wanted. Give your servant a discerning heart. Literally, a listening heart. He, he's, he's basically saying, God, I, I, need, I need to be able to listen to the people that I'm going I'm to be lead. I need to have a real hearing ear, and I need to hear you. I need to know what truth is because, listen, he says, I need it to govern your people so I can distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. It's a pretty good answer. Out of all the things he could have asked for, God, I need your wisdom to know how to rule these people. Obviously, God enjoyed this. Look what, what the Bible says. And the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. That's how Solomon's kingdom gets started. And he's going to reign for another 36 years, 40 years in total. So another 36 years, Solomon's going to reign, and, and God blesses him immensely, blesses the kingdom in some great ways. They become uh, one of the leading powers in the world. They, they, people are coming from all over to see him, to hear from him, uh, prosperity, influence, all these things are happening. Is, this is a great time for Israel. The Lord's blessings are on them in amazing ways, but, and, and this is where I want us to get to, as we come to the end of Solomon's story, uh, the outlook's not quite the same. If you were to turn over to page 191, it's actually 1 Kings chapter 11. Now we come to towards the end of Solomon's life, and I want you to hear what God says. At this point, the Lord became angry. We're verse number 9 of chapter 11. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. Completely different atmosphere, completely different response, different conversation. God continues to speak, and here's what he says uh, in verse 11. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Boy, it's a whole different picture just eight chapters earlier, isn't it? At one point, God is pleased, things are going well, and now God says, I'm going to tear this thing away from you because of what's... Now, please understand, my goal is not to be glass half empty kind of guy and just ignore all the 36 great, thing, great years of things that happened. My, my, that's not my point. My point, though, I want us to understand is this, and I think we all, would all get it, it's not how you start the race that matters, it's how you finish that makes the difference. Solomon started off great guns. I mean, whoo, he took off like a flash and things were going well, but it didn't end well for him. The, the, the point of his life did not end the way that God had intended it to end. Enormous opportunities end in it seems to be devastating failure. Let's try to put it in some perspective. The last, last three Sundays here at Calvary, we've been talking about our journey, 2017. I, think, I still think it's a great way to, to see what we're on. We're on a journey uh, of what God has done, and we have next steps to take. 
And in fact, we're, we're even challenge you about this, uh, the next, the 90 days next step challenge, which is between now and Easter, just say, what is, what is my next step? And, and as God reveals it to me, making a commitment that I'm going to try, especially in these next few weeks and months, to see, God, where are you leading me? And what that can do for our church if we follow along with that, with that kind of philosophy. But here's what I know. In this room, there are some of you who are just kind of beginning in this journey. The young lady who was baptized, Amber. I mean, this is a start for her. This is a beginning steps for her. Things are taking off for her. Some of you, this is kind of a new beginning. You, you've been going and now, and I've, I've read some of your notes, and I appreciate what you said. I, I want to get back into it. I want to recommit. I want, so you're kind of a, a new beginning. Some of you are just continuing on, and let's be honest, some of you have been on this journey a long, 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 long time, right? Okay, you, you're just older than me, so you're older than dirt, right? You just, you're, you've been in this thing a while, all right? So we're in this journey, and the question comes up, is it possible, is it even possible for us to, to, to finish well? I mean, we, we started off, and, and we're, we're again in the church kind of having some new beginning, and it's great to get started well, but can we continue this? Can we continue the momentum of seeing, can we end as well as we've started? Can we see this journey take off the way that God wants it to, and, and it to be faithful, and, and, and instead of Solomon having kind of a tragic misdirection of where he had started in his journey? So with that in mind, my question today is going to be, what what derailed Solomon's journey, and can we avoid that? Or can we, can we find a way to, to see that maybe come back and, and, and change in our lives? What was it that derailed Solomon? My, my suggestion is this. If you look in chapter 11, verse number 1, here's how the chapter begins. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. Okay, come on, be honest. That's kind of a funny statement. Take it out of context, all right? That's kind of just a weird way. Just He loved many foreign women. In fact, your version may actually say, some of them do, he loved many strange women. Okay, if, if that was our problem, <laughs> okay, you know where I'm going, right? If, if we were in trouble because we liked some strange men or women along the journey, all of us, come on, how many of you dated a strange one at one point? Okay, be honest. And if you married him, don't tell us, okay? Don't, don't let us know that. He, God's, just taking it out of context, that's kind of a weird thing. Solomon loved many foreign or strange women. But let, let's make sure we understand in context what we're talking. The obvious problem, if you know the story, is he loved many of those foreign women all at the same time. What we're going to find, he had this enormous, not just harem, he had 700 wives, 300 concubines. This was, in, this was numbers were not, and all at the same time, right? So we're talking about many women, and, and as we see what God is, is telling us, we see in Solomon's life, that in itself is an issue. That's part of the problem. But what I want to focus on is right in the middle of that verse. Look what it says. It says, Solomon loved many foreign women. Please circle that word love, because I want you to understand that becomes the issue. The problems of Solomon was a love problem. It, the, the women involved were just symptoms to a problem that Solomon had. He's, he was characterized, if you remember the first verse, Solomon showed his love to the Lord. And now when we see his tragic end, the perspective is that Solomon loves something else. You see, that becomes the issue in, in the life of our spiritual character or whatever we do. Whenever there's a, a, a problem, in, initially and down at the root, it, there is a love shift 
At some point, the love moves, and in, in his case, it moved from God, loving God, to loving these many women. And that, but what it is is a shift in, in who his affections went to, in who his passions were set for. The big point I want you to get for today is this, that success and failure in your spiritual journey is all connected to your love. If you want to take a spiritual assessment, there's one question you could ask. How's my love life? How's my spiritual love life? What, when, it talks, when you want to look at your spiritual walk, it's going to come down to this word. It comes down to the idea of, of love, which makes a lot of sense. When you think back now, Deuteronomy chapter 6, when Moses is giving the people some of their, their words of, of challenge as they take off, he, he records what has still to this day is very famous in the Jewish prayer system. It's called the Shema, and they use it in their morning and evening prayers to begin all of their prayers, and here's how it begins. Look at this, Deuteronomy 6, 4, he says, hear, which is the word Shema, listen, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, now listen, so because of that, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. God takes all of the commandments and he boils it down to one basic thing. It's all about your love. It's loving God with everything you've got, heart, soul, and strength. You love God and all of the other commandments branch off of this one. You love God and everything else falls under this category of loving God. Jesus repeated it, Matthew chapter 22. Jesus was asked a question about the greatest commandment. Listen to what he said. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. Make this just loving God to focus your life and see how that changes. It's, it, the issues we have spiritually and the reason that we might at some point drift, or we, we have, it's all, there's a love issue. There's something in the passion and who we are and who we are focused on, which brings us this amazing fact that I want to share with you today. When we talk about the story, the Bible that we're reading through, ultimately, God's story is a love story. Underneath all of this, God's story is a story of love. The fact that God created us, that God put the human race in a garden, in, a, in the, the idea of a relationship, but man in their sin separated themselves from God, and then God had already had in place a plan to get them back. Do you understand what that shows us? That demonstrates God's love for us. A verse that I bet almost everyone in this room is familiar with, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If you go to 1 John, it says, what is love? God says, well, here's love. Let me show you. Love is that God sent his son to be the sacrifice for your sins. This whole story leading up through, the, as we looked at those pictures, those symbols, all the story leading up to the fact that Jesus comes as the Savior of the world, what is that? It's a story of love. The whole story is about a God who in his passion for us does, all these, does this amazing thing to bring us back to this uh, the opportunity for us to have a relationship that if we receive his son, we can know that's love. But understand, now God also shows us that once we have that gift, once we've received that and we're in this relationship, what is it that should characterize what we do from then on? It's love. It's about loving him and loving him with everything that we have and giving him all the, 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 the sense. It's, it's love. It's not rules. It's not religion. It's loving God. 
It's loving him with everything that we have, and that changes everything. That gives a whole new motivation, a whole new reason. Here's where Solomon started off so well. He showed his love to the Lord by doing what God said, but a shift happened in his life. Something happened that moved his love from focused on God to focused, in his case, on all these women and, and all the other things. So is it possible? Is it even possible for us to love God with all our heart, to stay on this journey? Are there any things we can do to prevent or to, to help work through these or to help change where we're going and to get back to this love? Let me share with you a few things that I see from Solomon's life. I want to challenge you to, to take these at heart and do them if you want to see your love for him continue to flourish. Number one is this. You've got to eliminate your exceptions. Let me explain what I'm talking about. If you read verse 3 again, here's how it starts. Chapter 3 and verse 3, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given to him by his father David. Let me stop just a second. Literally what he's saying is Solomon loved the Lord and he showed it by obeying God. He loved God and he proved it by obeying him. What he's showing us is a principle we're going to see throughout Scripture. Obedience is a natural response to our love for him. If we focus on loving God, obedience is going to follow. If we're loving him, we're going to obey him. But also the reverse is true. If we're looking at our life and we're finding this lack of obedience, then the issue is there's something wrong with our love, our passion, our focus on him. It's a symptom that there is an issue. Jesus said it in John 14, if you love me, keep my commands. This love and this obedience go hand in hand. So Let's keep reading. Here's what we know. Solomon loved the Lord. He did everything God said. But look at that next word, except, circle that, except he offered sacrifices and burned incense on high places. Solomon had this great movement. He loved God, and he was, but there was some exceptions. He began to justify some exceptions in his life. Think about some exceptions. I, I, I know that... Even our U.S. Constitution has an exception clause about, uh, about certain lawyers and certain uh, uh, judges. There's exception clause. You, you have contracts that have da-da-da-da, except, right? You have the fine print. You have the things that all of this except or if this happens. We understand exceptions. If someone, one of you were to say, uh, you know, about, about, your, uh, about yourself, let's put it that way. You say, I'm really a good driver except I have a lead foot. Okay, so then you've got to take, do I, do I, is that okay with me? You understand? Or maybe you've got the, the winningest football team in the NFL, except they cheat. You know, I, I mean, NFL Patriots, I, I'm not, okay, I've got to get off of that one. But exceptions. We understand that everything is good, and then we, we throw in exceptions. What you find in Solomon's life, and it begins right here, that he was willing to justify some exceptions. And those exceptions begin to help his life begin to fade from where it needs to be. This very first one we look at, he said, except he offered sacrifices in on the high of incense on the high places. But the high places were, were locations, and they were acceptable in the culture that you would worship God from there. But the truth is that was also a place where pagans were worshipped, where, where the pagan gods had. And, and at some point in Israel's history, those high places become such a stumbling block that God commands the kings to tear them down. You've got to get rid of those. Now, at this point, everything was kind of, it was politically correct to offer sacrifices on the high places. 
But you see what Solomon knew different. In fact, if you, later in this same chapter, he actually, when he gets done, he goes back to Jerusalem in front of the ark of God and prays. See, the ark of God where God said, I, I'm going to dwell, that wasn't even, it wasn't on the high places in Jerusalem. Solomon had a chance here to turn the culture to turn, he was the leader. He could have said, you know what, folks, we're no longer going to do these high places things. They're kind of a mixed bag, so let's go to the ark. He had a chance to change things. And Solomon loved the Lord, but Solomon loved the Lord, and he showed it to him, except he was willing to compromise on where he offered his sacrifices. Actually, his, his exception started first verse of this chapter where it says that Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. That, that's one of the first things we know. There's the reason why that's a problem? Well, there's a couple reasons. One, Solomon was already married at this point. This becomes wife number two. Understand, though, though polygamy was, was seen by many even of the, of the leaders of the, of the Old Testament, God never condoned polygamy, and there was always issues, there was always consequences that came with that. So just Solomon doing that had already said, I'm, I'm kind of disregarding God's command, one woman, one wife, one lifetime kind of an idea. He, he'd already disregarded that. But also the fact that she was from, from Egypt becomes another problem. It's kind of ironic at this first place where we're going to see the glory of Solomon's kingdom, right before all that happens, the writer kind of shows us some seeds of disobedience in Solomon's life. Some seeds that if he doesn't take care of those things, they're going to blossom into something that's going to ruin him, and ultimately that's exactly what happened. Uh, just to give you some more ideas, this was not the only place. Solomon had some other exceptions. In the, in the book of Deuteronomy, long before Israel ever had a king, God already gave them some instructions on some things the king was to do and not to do. Listen to what Deuteronomy 17 says. The king must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself. Listen to these things. Or make people return to Egypt to get more of those horses. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. This was written hundreds of years before a king ever came into place, but all of them had read that. They knew this was God's command. So now listen to what Solomon does. 1 Kings chapter 10. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. He accumulated chariots and horses. Huh. Isn't that not just directly what God said not to do? He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horses, and if you look in the end, he got those horses from where? From, from Egypt. God specifically said, don't accumulate horses, and especially don't get them from Egypt. Solomon says, ah, I'm a pretty good king, but I'll follow God in everything except and right in the middle, and God and king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. He was accumulating silver and gold at such an amazing rate, and he was making these elaborate and all in direct. It's a case of what Solomon said, I will follow God except. And then when we come to chapter uh, 11, which we looked at before, then we come back to this many wives thing. He's already started. He's already got two wives. Well, now he adds many, and, and this is how 1 Kings 11 describes it. He loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughters, but listen to who they are, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites. They were from the nations which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. He had 700 wives of royal birth, 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. At some point Solomon says, you know what, that, that works, that's cool, I'm glad God said that, but except for me. 
except at this point. But I will follow the Lord. You realize, besides having 700 mother-in-laws, which we joke about, and having 300 concubines, he had 1,000 mood swings, okay? All of that stuff's all in the, in the temple. But even just think of the practicality of the fact of him support. How many of you would like to have 1,000 mouths to feed every day, plus all of their servants and the kids that are coming? Do you, do you understand? This was not God's plan. That's one of the things. But when you start reading who these wives were, Politically, this was the right thing. He was marrying the Moabite queen and the, the, the princesses because politically that made sense. That allowed these people then to have uh, connections. But God had specifically said, do not intermarry with these folks. And this wasn't a racial issue. This was a religious issue. This was the fact that they will lead you away from God, and that's exactly what they did. Solomon. You know, culturally, you can have multiple wives. God says that's not the way it's supposed to go. Solomon, it, it, culturally, it was, it was politically correct. It was politically prudent to have these wives from all these other countries. But God says that's not the way to do it. Solomon, maybe he thought he was too strong, too wise. He, he, he had all this wisdom. He could, he could handle all of this. I will follow God and do what he says, except. And the exceptions are the thing that begin to pull his heart away from God. Anybody seeing a parallel here? We all have exceptions, don't we? We look in our lives and there are certain things that we know shouldn't be. There are certain things that should be that aren't. And we're willing to say, yes, I love God, except. I love God with everything I got, but this one, this one's kind of mine. This one's one that, you know, I, do you love the Lord? Of course I do, but as I look in, there are some things that I'm just not dealing with. Me and God, we're just not working through. That Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a, 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 you know, God tells us one of the commands that we have in the New Testament is we're to love one another as Jesus loved us. We're to forgive one another regardless. Maybe it's one of those things. You know, we're obeying a lot of things, but you just don't know that guy. He doesn't deserve to be. She doesn't deserve to be forgiven. And so we have all of this, yes, I love God, but... I love God except, I love God but my anger, you know, that's just the way I am. I just how I, that's just how I roll. My anger is my anger. All of these, whatever it is in our life, yes, I love God except, you know what, that's not, I'm, I'm a great driver but I have a lead foot. It's the same principle. We have, to, we have to recognize that there are some exceptions, and we have to begin with, with God's help to begin. If you want to stay on this path of loving God, you've got to deal with those exceptions and eliminate them one by one from your life. Let me just quickly go on. The second way to keep our love alive, according to Solomon's picture, is to celebrate the value of what God has given us. Celebrate the value of what God has given us. Before we can just, just stop for a moment and consider I'm not saying whether you're rich or poor, it has, really has nothing to do with it, but just consider the fact of, of all the things that worked in your life this week to bring you to where you're sitting today. Let's just start with the very, just the obvious. You have air that you're breathing, and your lungs are taking that, that air in and, and out, and the heart is functioning. Your, your body's moving. I mean, it may not be moving real well today, but it is moving the fact that, that everyone in here thankfully has clothes on, that, that always makes the service much better, and you're all clothed. I know some of you probably, the, the meals, some people I know that, that you're, you're stretching the dollar, but most of us in this room have not suffered from a lack of nutrition in some form this week. 
but let me go even further. You've got a personality that's a related, maybe it's an ability that, between those two things, that you have a job or you have a, a way that you, you're, and, and, all, and some of you, I know you're saying, but I don't have a job right now, I'm looking, but do you, under, do you see all of the resources that have put you to a place where you can sit in this seat today and you understand where that came from? All of that came from, you said, I worked hard, I, I'm smart, I, but, but who made you? Who gave you these, these thoughts, the brain? Who put that air in your lungs? Do we understand that all of this stuff, things, people, relationships, whatever you want to look at, all these resources have come because of God in our life? Let me just let you see what happens in Solomon. We're on page 177, 1 Kings 3.11. After this, God, uh, Solomon's answer Listen to what God said. God said, you've asked for this not for long life or wealth for yourself. You asked for wisdom, and you didn't ask for the things that most people would ask for. You didn't even ask for the death of your enemies, but you asked for discernment and administering justice. So look what God says. I will not only do what you have asked, I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be, and moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for. Look what God says. I'll give you both wealth and honor. So then in your lifetime, you'll have no equal among kings. And he goes on, and if you walk in obedience, I'm even going to give you long life. Solomon, I'm going to just bless you in incredible ways. Yes, you're going to have more wisdom. And he was, he's been known traditionally as the, one, the wisest man to ever live. He's, he's had more wealth. He accumulated more than, than we could ever be imagined. All of these things. And you think, how, how is this? Because God says this is all coming, and it's from me. And, and that's quite an answer. But we got to remember, there's, there's an old saying, be careful what you ask for. Because all of these things also then become, this, was, this almost likens the Midas touch type thing, that everything he touched seemed to turn to gold. It all just seemed to work out. So the question is, was God setting him up? I mean, God said you're not to accumulate wealth. You're not to accumulate horses. So then God gives him wealth. Is that not God? You're tricking him. You're teasing him. Do you understand that God gave him his resources for something more than just hoarding it? And God says, I will give you these things, and I have these great plans for you in this kingdom that could go on forever if you'll take my resources and use them the way that I've called you to. God has given him all of this. In, in, the Bible is often misquoted in 1 Timothy where it says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Many people leave out the, the love part and just say that God says money is the root of all evil. Never. God never says there's anything wrong with having money, with having things. That's not God's point. The point is where is your love? And if your love is with your treasures and your love is with your stuff and your love is with whatever is on earth, that's where the issue comes. And that's where Solomon's problem was. He had all these things, and nothing was wrong with that until that became the heart of his life. Really a sad turn in Solomon's life. If you're, if you're to go to the book of Ecclesiastes, which most people believe Solomon wrote, and you will find that Solomon took all of this that God had given him, and rather than use it to God's best potential, he, he literally, you could say, he was a king who had it all, and everything was not enough. Because he had all this and he had to have more. So he took his money and he said, and I tried, I tried having a pleasure and just making myself have fun. I was just happy. He said, I, I got more education. I got more and more knowledge and I poured more and more. I, he said, I was more successful. And I, I, all of these things, all of this came to, to him. And he said, I, I literally, Solomon wrote the song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. He literally did because he tried everything to fill something that God said, that love for me, that's what you need. And Solomon said, but, but that doesn't seem enough. Solomon fell in the same trap that Eve fell into in the Garden of Eden. 
Satan said, Eve, did God really say? And he planted a seed in her head that, that made her think that God was holding out on her. And so I get that one fruit, of all the trees of all the garden, and yet that one piece of fruit was so enticing because it seemed like God was, and Solomon's the same way. God says, your love and our relationship and what I've given you is everything you need. And Solomon says, but, but what if, what if I'm missing something, God? And he had the resources to do it, and he tried everything, but look what he said. His final, his final decree is this, Ecclesiastes 1-2, meaningless. Meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Wow. Solomon had everything, and then he tried to get more of everything. And when all of that is said and done, and with, when his, as his love began to fade, he realized it really literally means nothing. And, and it's a great picture for any time we try to find anything in life to fulfill us, and it doesn't include that starting with that relationship with God. You're going to go this direction. You're going to try this, this passion, this, this product, this relationship, this, this accumulation. You try all these things, and you're going to find ultimately without God, it's meaningless. It means it has nothing. It all goes away. And that's what Solomon found. All the stuff and frustration comes simply down to this. But here's the sad thing. God had blessed him with all these resources. And whatever God has given you, whether it's the breath in your lungs, the food on your table, the, the personality and the abilities you have, all come from God. So what do you do with those things? There's two words we can learn about, we can learn to, to encourage from Solomon. One is the word contentment, which is, I think this definition is valuing what God has given you. Contentment is the idea of, of being, of understanding God has me in this place now and, and I, will, I am content in who God has made me and what he's made me to do. But stewardship is the other word, and that is taking care of what God is, making the most out of what God has given you. So my question is, what has God given you? Are you celebrating the value of the fact that you are resourced by the Almighty God, and what does that mean to you? Last thing I want you to get is this. To keep this love alive, we have to resist the appeal of competing passions. We have to resist the fact that there is going to be things that are wanting to take the place of God. In Solomon's case, we, we find ultimately it was these many women, but there was things all along the line that were just competing, and ultimately here's how Solomon's life is told. 1 Kings 11.2, Solomon held fast to them in love. He not only just loved them and he had all this harem, but now he's holding fast. He's, his heart's turning. He goes on to say, his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely. Circle those words, fully devoted and completely. Solomon, best we know, didn't become an atheist. He didn't turn completely away and say, I don't even believe there is a God. He, rather than an atheist, became what we'd call a pluralist. He now just added God to all of the other gods of his wives, and, and his attentions didn't just turn away from God. Now he just added, and, and God's just one of the things now I love. But, folks, that's not God's intention. Remember he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. The first commandment of the Ten Commandments is love. That he says that there is one God, and he said, "You're not have no other gods before me." That means that there is not to be any other gods in my presence. It's not me. I'm the number one God, and you have three or four, or five, and six, a thousand. It's about I am God, and worship me and love me. What God is looking from us is complete, utter devotion. 
But there's always going to be something that's going to pull away from that. It could be relationships. It could be your career. It could be your family. It could be job. What if, whenever you find yourself, you find yourself making excuses of why I can't follow God here or I can't serve God here, I can't, then you've got to recognize that as something that's pulling my passions away from the one who deserves my total attention. Jesus put it this way, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The things is usually what we go for first. I got to seek these things, and I got to get my 401k in place. I got to get my, my stuff. I got to get college saved away for. I've got to have this. I got to get my things. And then when I have time, if I have time, then, then I'll, I'll make sure I, I, I give God some credence. Here's what God says Put me first, and, and let me help take care of the things. Resist the passion, resist the temptation, the appeal of competing passions. So the question is, is it possible to experience this ongoing growth that God has for us? Yes. Is it possible to see God help us take next steps, and we're not going to be perfect, but to continue to grow and be faithful? Yes. We can start off in this love relationship, and as we walk through the journey, we can continue to see this grow. But we have to understand that there, there is going to be a pull against our passions. What are we going to love? Last thought I want you to grab is this. God's plan for my story, for your personal story, where you live, that too is a love story. God loves you. He knows that you're a sinner and you need a savior. That's why he sent his son to die for you. That's the story of love. And, and you can have the gift of eternal life, but you must receive his gift. You must confess your sins and, and repent and say, God, forgive me. Be my Lord and Savior to accept his gift. But the, the gift is there. It's a, it's a gift with your name on it, and you can receive it. That's the gift of love. It's your story. God wants you to know that relationship with him that came through his death, burial, and resurrection. But Christians now, followers of Christ, guess what he says the story is from now on? Love me with your heart, your soul, your mind. Focus on loving me this week. So many times in religion, we get it switched. We focus on doing and obeying, and, and, then, and then we hope that we love. And God says, if you love me, you will obey me. So focus on loving me. Focus on this week, turning your passions, eliminating those things that might be competing, and, and begin to follow God completely. Oh, there's not a one, there's very few in here I'm sure that would say, I don't know if I even believe in this God stuff. Most of you would say, sure, I believe in God, but is he have your complete, full devotion? Love the Lord your God. Would you bow your heads with me, please? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, we consider this, what God has said to us today. Let me just challenge you to think about the love relationship between you and God. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Do you know that you have eternal life? Is Jesus Christ your, your Savior, your Lord? Are you following him with your life? Today, if not, would you call out to him and receive him? Say, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Save me. I want to follow you with my life. Would you turn to him today? And then Christians across this audience, my challenge for us today is to just... In, just inspect our love, our passion for the God who saved us. God, as I look at who I am and what you have done for me, I love you and I will show you my love by following you with all of my heart, my soul, and my strength. Father, Solomon gives us a powerful example 
of what it means to love you and to follow you, but also what it means when that we allow that love to, to grow distant. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to make that real, to take that story and make it ours today. Take a picture of, of our lives, and first of all, have we accepted your love through Jesus Christ? And if so, can we this week just say, God, I want to love you with all my heart, soul, and strength. Lord, please show us what that means in our personal lives. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And we just take a time as the music continues and just, just spend some time talking to him. Maybe as a follower of his, you're, you're just saying, God, I do love you. And I want to love you with everything I've got. So, Lord, if you'll show me those things that, maybe those exceptions that I'm making or those things that are competing. And, Lord, if you'll show them to me, I, by your grace, I'll begin to deal with those. Because I really want to love you with everything that I've got. Just talk to him. He wants to hear from you, child. And just say, God, I want to really love you fully, completely. Think what that could change in your life as you commit yourself to complete, utter devotion to God. But if you're here this morning, you've not received Christ as Savior. Right now is your opportunity. You recognize Jesus died because you're a sinner, and you say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and save me. I want to be a follower of yours. As the music continues today, I want to give you a chance just to spend some time speaking to him in prayer. If God has spoken to you and you'd like someone to pray with you, if you just meet me here at the front, I'd be glad to have someone pray with you this morning. Maybe you want to come to the, here to the front and just, just offer that commitment to God. God, I, want to, I love you and I want that to truly be the centerpiece of my life. I want to ask Adam to sing a little bit, and as he does, if God speaks to you, we invite you to come or just to spend some time speaking to him. If you'd like to know what it is to, to receive him as Savior, we'd love to show you this morning as Adam continues to sing. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my 